welcome back to Season 5 of the Lighting Your Way podcast. My name is Betty Long, and I am your host during these conversations. I do hope that you enjoy them, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. In this week's episode, I talk with two of my guardian nurses' colleagues, Rebecca Zarkowski and Megan Swider both of whom have had recent personal experiences with loved ones needing care at the end of their lives. Palliative care, the topic we discuss, is a resource for anyone living with a serious illness such as heart failure, COPD, cancer, dementia, Parkinson's disease, and many others. Palliative care can be helpful at any stage of illness and is best provided soon after a person is diagnosed. As nurses, Rebecca and Meg share their stories, and as you'll hear, encourage people in similar situations to ask about palliative care. Rebecca Zarkowski and Megan Swider, welcome uh, to the Lighting Your Way podcast. Thank you, Betty. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys are veterans of the podcast. Both of you have been on before, so... I am looking forward to having uh, this discussion about palliative care, which uh, still is sort of an unknown in the healthcare system, uh, despite, you know, despite its best attempts to educate folks, including clinicians, it still remains kind of a secret and no one really understands. uh, I shouldn't say no one. A a lot of folks don't understand what it is. So, uh, we're here because, Rebecca, you had a dear friend who was also on a podcast in December, Renee Pedro, uh, who was um, going through her own health care challenges with stage four cancer. Uh, and she died um, last month. And, Meg, you had a mom who was also on uh, palliative care and who also then transitioned to hospice and died. So... Um, Rebecca, I want to give you the stage. Uh, tell us about you, that that last those last couple of months with Renee. Yep, thanks, Betty. So um, <clears throat> we, Renee and I, throughout the last from July of twenty two on, when her uh, diagnosis became more progress and and the outcome more real, she and I had lots of conversations about what it's going to look like. How is she going to feel? What's it going to look like for her and her husband? And one of my asks in July was that she consider, this was not the first time we had the conversation, but we consider adding palliative care to our uh, care team because I I was hopeful that palliative would have been involved early on because I feel like they are the the unsung heroes when you're talking particularly about diseases that progress to end stage like cancer or COPD or heart, you know, CHF, all those uh, chronic diseases that over time will wear and tear at your body and um, eventually potentially could be the your end of life. And Palliative care, in my experience professionally, has always been kind of the quarterback of the the oncology team. My background's in oncology, so I'm only going to speak about that. And they were really the background or the quarterback as a primary care physician, pain management, 
and also identifying if there's resources outside of the oncology team that are being missed that would help the patient and their care and their caregivers um, with this difficult journey. And the earlier my experience has been that we engage palliative care, a couple things happen. One, it provides you know good education for the patient and the care and the caregivers. Um, and it's usually topics that the providers and the care team don't always address proactively, but they're real concerns and they're real life events that happen when you receive an oncology diagnosis. And so in July, I had discussed with Renee a couple of times about bringing them on board, not even so much for Renee because she was really against it. She viewed palliative so I, as giving up. So she, okay. she viewed palliative care and hospice care as the same. Okay. And that would have translated in her mind to feeling as though she was giving up. I asked her if it was okay for me to speak with her care team. She said yes, and I did speak with them, and they did tell me that they had recommended palliative care a couple times and gave Renee the number, and she wasn't ready yet, and they were going to essentially meet her where she's at. Okay. And so we got, when she was on last time in December, she had just been discharged, and we were discharged at that time with palliative care, but notice that that's just a couple months before she passed away. And so the benefit of having a strong palliative team on board was kind of lost because she was really nearing where hospice would have been appropriate, not palliative, okay. because palliative is not end of life, right? right? Hospice is end of life. And that is the big, the big misunderstanding or lack of communication between care teams and patients. And, and did that the, lack did, of communication. Right. The, the, the lack of communication, that's what I'm picking up on, is that, you know, even though she was with an oncology team throughout her six years, as she progressed and her, I'm sorry, as her disease progressed, they did bring up palliative care, but she was against it because in her head it was hospice and it was giving up. Yeah. That was five and a half years into her diagnosis. Wow. And do you feel like it would have been beneficial for them to have brought it up sooner with Renee? Yeah. So it's funny. My experience where I came from, my oncology background, palliative care was part of the initial care team that our patients met. So they would meet the oncology team. If you needed a rad onc, they would be included nutrition, palliative care, Reiki, massage, like all comorbidities involved in the actual development of the treatment plan. So on day one, these patients and their families were meeting the palliative care physician, and it wasn't scary, right? Because we were able to say to them, this person is going to fill a hole for your primary care needs, your pain management needs, and be able to assess if we're missing anything else. It was never, this is an extension of hospice, because we weren't talking about discussing end of life. We were discussing the journey and the importance of having that resource there. And it was it was not most places do not discuss that from go. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know if it's and Meg, you can weigh in on this. I try and understand is it discomfort with the conversation? Is it mm-hmm. I don't know. Is 
benefit coverage? Is it not covered? I don't, I don't really know why we wait until someone is so sick that they automatically, hospice and palliative are like one, one bubble because of when it's introduced. But right. they're not I, one. I, not one. So, right, I agree. I think people think it's synonymous. Palliative goes right into hospice care, which in all cases, that's not true. Okay. And that's, I think it's just a distinction. Um, people, you know, they just automatically think palliative and then it's going to go into hospice right. because I know my situation was a little different. Well, yeah, your mom. mom had, a, your mom had congestive heart failure and that, as Correct. Rebecca said, it is a progressive disease and, you know, your mom mm -hmm. was in her eighties. So did they, did her clinical team offer palliative care or was it something that um, you that's something that I initiated. Um, the thing with my mom, like, you're correct, she had congestive heart failure, which is a progression of a, you know, chronic disease. So believe it or not, um, before she passed away in May, so the year before she got very sick and she was in the hospital and um, she was not doing well at all. Um, and then, you know, as the days went by, she was getting a little bit stronger but still not out of the woods yet. And I asked for um, a consult for palliative care. And that's okay. how it started with us. Um, so then we had a physician come up and talk to myself and my family and discuss what palliative care and um, what resources and how they were gonna help. So the way they explained it, they were gonna help her more with her symptoms um, at that time. And they brought, you know, I got a phone call from the palliative doctor. We had somebody come out and um, do a consult. And on for us, luckily, my mom did very well. She bounced back into the following year um, when, I guess, the end of April, when she got, her symptoms got even worse. Okay. Um, and then, again, palliative was consulted because they, they were already consulted the year prior or the summer prior. So then um, it was easy for them to consult them again. Um, so, so that's how it worked with our family. Well, and to both of you, I mean, if, if you're both nurses, so what, what, what does a family do who doesn't have someone clinical or even knowledgeable that palliative care exists? Because if the healthcare system and the healthcare providers aren't offering it as a uh, another arrow in the quiver, then how are folks going to engage and ask? Like, uh, right, you guys are both nurses. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, exactly. I think it's word of mouth, um, you know, talking to each other, um, doing podcasts, steady, <laughs> letting everybody know that, yeah. um, you know, th this service does exist. It is out there. Um, and. And it but, is, to Rebecca's point, it is covered by insurance, right? A lot of people don't think, sometimes benefit, I can't believe it, but sometimes hospice care is not covered by folks' benefits. But I imagine that palliative care is because it's symptom management and thus, if effective, would keep someone out of the hospital, thus reducing costs. <laughs> so I can't imagine an insurance company being against it. But 
you know, to, to both of your points, is it just for the dying though? It doesn't sound like it. Cause you know, what, what's, cause your mom bounced back uh, and, and right. Rebecca, if, if Renee had accepted it, you know, prior, or if, if the provider had offered it at diagnosis, it would have been kind of an ongoing um, support for her, which was years. For me, like, that's the one thing with palliative care. It could be at any stage of the seriousness of the illness. Um, but the one thing with palliative, it's also provided, like, with the um, a curative treatment. I guess in mind, okay. Um, they can bounce back. In our situation, like I said, my mom did bounce back um, with, you know, as she went along with her treatment, and she had months, months, and months of doing well. But then again, with as we all know, congestive heart failure um, goes through different stages. So then we were able to discontinue the palliative because we felt like she was doing well. We were okay. able to help her manage her symptoms at home and with her physicians. Um, but then when she got to that point again, when her sy symptoms were, you know, had to be much more manageable with her shortness of breath, with her fluid, um, we were able to call palliative back in again. Okay. And that's the nice thing about it. Yeah. And, and you know, Rebecca, your, your longing for it with Renee could have, perhaps enhanced right her life and, and improved her quality of life until yeah. she did reach the end of her life with hospice. Um, and, Correct. and, you know, for, for the organization that you were part of years ago to have done that up front, right up front is, is much more effective for families to wrap their head around the idea. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard uh, palliative care described as the bridge, right? There's a bridge program. Yep. So you, you are acute clinically, you know, your acute clinical needs and you're increasing symptoms, whether it's nausea or it's pain, you know, something. And then they bring in palliative care. Um, and it's interesting to me that trying to get the point across to a patient or their families, what this program is, I think, providers need to know what it is. Cause I think actually a lot of providers might think that it's sort of like hospice care. Do you agree? Right. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of oncology, well, doctors are uncomfortable themselves with the conversation because if think about it from a provider's perspective, right. Or, or a clinician, like we're, we're supposed to, fix things. We're supposed to make everything okay. We, people come to us to make it all right, make them healthy. And every once in a while, there's going to be times where that's not, after a certain period of time, it's, you're done, right? Like there's no more fixing anything. And so it could be, you know, I always try and think of why? Why is there this barrier? Why do people shy away from the conversation? Why don't they push harder immediately from diagnosis to ensure the patient and their loved ones that this is okay, it's safe? I'm not by any means recommending palliative and telling you, you know, just to, to give in to death. That is not what it is. And right. until they become more comfortable, the providers and nurses become more comfortable with the conversation, 
I believe it's best suited for people in palliative and hospice because it's a, it's a very normal conversation mm-hmm. and not often, it's not always heavy and sad either, right? Like sometimes right. patients, mm-hmm. I hate to say this, it's a relief. A lot of patients fight for the people that they love. They're exhausted mm-hmm. and they want permission mm-hmm. to be exhausted mm-hmm. and, and know that they're not letting people down. And so, like, for Renee, it was very much she didn't want anyone to think she was quitting. And she had lots of people in her life where you'd have to start from scratch with educating them that this isn't right. And she's tired. And having those conversations with people felt daunting Mm, to her. Okay. That makes sense. I also feel like it's an extra level of support, too. Um, even as nurses, I don't know if you can speak to this, Rebecca, just, you know, as nurses, everybody comes to us for the answers and questions, but just having, you know, another level of support there um, to somebody to speak um, on behalf of, you know, even myself, like, and explain it to my mm-hmm. family members, this is what we're doing, and this is how, because, you know, I wanted to be the daughter, too, at times. Um, you know, yeah. I was breathing yeah. as That's a much good point. as, yeah. yeah, I was breathing as much as my siblings were, but, you know, being the nurse, you have to be, be the expert, you know, you're trying to be yeah. strong and right. try to be there to answer the question. So it was, it was more, it was supportive to myself also, I can say. Who did you get that support from Meg? What was it? The nurse practitioner who, nurse. who offered you the support? Okay. There was. There was a nurse that came, and she she came out in the beginning probably two to three times a week, and we would just have conversations and, um, you know, where my mom was at. Um, I would, you know, pick her brain, what she mm-hmm. thought about her diagnosis, and, um, and she was actually the nurse. And luckily, the weird thing is the palliative nurse who originally came, she was the one that came the second time around. So she was very familiar with my mother. That was that's, nice, too. That's great. Um, so, yes. And she's the one who actually um, made the transition from palliative to hospice um, mm. a lot easier for us. Um, like I said, I don't, know, um, I don't know if it happens that way, but we were lucky in the sense that she knew my mom um, from the summer before. So at a certain point, she, she assessed your mom and thought, okay, you know, we, we can, we've been tweaking meds and we've been tweaking this, but now the heart, you know, her Mm -hmm. heart is not going to respond to other meds. So we need to look at a different, okay. Yeah. And my mom was a fighter, believe me. She was like that. We didn't know when to get, like, let her give up because she was such a fighter. Like she would try to get up and just walking, watching her try to walk up the steps. It was just heartbreaking, but that was, she was just a fighter in herself. So she was there to help us talk to my mom and, you know, let her make that transition also. You know, I, I think it's an important point that you put, um, brought out, Meg, that you as the nurse and the daughter, right? You wanted to be the daughter and not the mm-hmm. nurse. And especially in your situation with a large family, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. coming to you. Rebecca, did you, did you have that experience with Renee and her family? So, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, we had, so we're so intertwined. My family, her family, friends, um, her friends, our friends, Bo's family. Uh, yes, and I have to be honest, like, during it all, I remember the day that I talked to you, Meg, and I can't really mm-hmm. remember, like, when it was, but it was certainly after her discharge in December, but before January. And I remember being so upset because I was, it was a day where I was taking a lot of calls and answering a lot of questions. I can't even remember, like, what happened, but it was I a remember scary time. We were in a conference room. We were at Guardian Nurses Conference Room. I remember that conversation. You do? Thanks. Yes. And yes. I used Meg. I mean, I didn't have anybody to – I felt like I didn't have anybody in that moment who could possibly understand that, like, I was sad, but I felt like I needed to hold it together to help all these people that love Renee as much as I do, right? And I have this – education and understanding and it wasn't time for me to worry about necessarily me mm-hmm. um i do remember saying to meg like if they if she would just agree to palliative it would be so helpful to me and Bo. like i almost was like forget <laughs> you were the heavy, i need it <laughs> you know because like, right. i really yeah. could have used it i had a lot of questions about the way they were managing her or not managing pain because it you know, had just gotten so bad and so progressive, and that's yet, you know, she had pain management on board. She had a pain management on board, but that palliative piece is just different. It just it just manages things a little differently. And I believe palliative is just a little bit more personable than if you had a pain management and all your yeah. um, separate specialists. Specialists. Um, I believe palliative, mm-hmm. and that's one good thing about palliative. They can work with their your own doctors, um, so they Correct. incorporate you know all the specialties together. I, that's what's nice to them. I, I look at them like you know I always use a lot of baseball analogies, but I think of them as the free agents, right? They're they're mm-hmm. they can pop in, yeah, right? Good. They're they're specialists on pain manage on symptom management, really. So. You know, while we have orthopedic surgeons and they, you know, subspecialty is hips and knees, and then we have cardiacs and they're, everybody's got a subspecialty. These are typically internal medicine or family. These are primary care doctors, right? Or other physicians that come into the specialty because they want to focus on symptom management and they have ba- tricks in their bag that other doctors yeah. may not have. Um but they're, you know, they're, they're uh, what I appreciate about palliative care physicians is that they're always willing to work with other physicians, right? They're, you know, like sometimes yeah. the silos go up when you're dealing with other specialties and in palliative care, it's not, it's like very open. You know, we want to, we're here, <laughs> believe it or not, we're here for the best uh, outcome for the patient. Uh, and right. they keep that, I think, well, front of mind. Yeah, real quick, right. um, one story that relates to that. It was a Saturday afternoon, and we were trying to get um, a pain medicine for my mom. And, you know, it's hard to get um, in touch with the physician. So I reached out to the palliative nurse, and she said, oh, I will take care of that. She said, we will get that <laughs> medicine. And it was, you know, that night we were able to get the medicine. So that, uh-huh. you know, it's it's doing those exhaustive, you know, how, you know, I know how I'm a nurse advocate, but like I said, being 
you know, the daughter. I wanted to be the daughter, and I was able to reach out to the nurse, and she had no qualms about it. Oh no, we will get that for her. I will reach out to her. (laughs) Doesn't that feel? That that must have felt great for you, Meg, because you're always doing that for everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. Trust someone. Yes, exactly. And she made it happen. She came through. That's great. You know what she promised, and she came through with it. So. So, Rebecca, when you when you think back, um, would you have done anything differently to persuade Renee to um, yeah. engage palliative? What would you do? So I would have requested it when it was a DCIS diagnosis, which obviously should be a good prognosis. And from go, I would have had palliative introduced. I would have asked for the referral. I would have, I should have been more thoughtful, you know, 2020 backwards vision, right? Monday morning quarterback. Um, right. You know, because she could have said no then too and probably would have, but I would have been in a much better place to barter and say, listen, could you just hear what they have to say? <laughs> you know, like, that's all, just right. hear them out. And she would have been in 2015, she would have heard them out. Okay. But as okay. the year went on and the prognosis got worse, it became scarier and scarier because she thought it meant the end of her life. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so what would you, so I, I think I know where this is going, but what would you like to say to folks who are listening who may be in a situation where there is a new diagnosis that's life-threatening um, or a, a chronic diagnosis that's getting worse? What, what would you like to say as a suggestion to folks? Well, me personally, I would say trust your doctor. Um, have these conversations with the doctors that you trust. Um, you know, I'm sure if you bring up palliative um, and just ask the questions and how can they help, start there. Just start with the conversation, bring in the word palliative up. And okay. they can, you know, always do a consult. And just that consult, you're just there to listen. It, there's no guarantees. You don't, you're not bound to anything. You know, it's okay. not like you sign a piece of paper and you're stuck in something. It's not like that. Okay. Um, just listen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rebecca, how about you? So I'll piggyback off of that and suggest that people who are listening to this podcast, maybe they could Google, believe it or not, uh, everything I need to know about palliative care. <laughs> and you'll get TED Talks, you'll get podcasts, and you'll get wonderful articles. And I think the first thing people need to do, don't listen to us, do your own research. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that when you do go speak to the provider, you come from, you're educated in what you're asking. It's not just off of listening to Megan, you and I say it's a good idea, but go in there really understanding what it is you're asking for. There's mm-hmm. lots of good information out there, and it will hopefully get rid of the stigma and the fear that comes along with palliative. Great. Great. Yeah, it's a great suggestion. Piggybacking off of of those suggestions, uh, Meg and Rebecca, I'd also like to say to to folks who are listening or maybe going through this to actually ask um, in facilities if you're being diagnosed with cancer or something, whether they have a palliative care team, Uh, because not all facilities may have a team that specializes in palliative care. So I think that's an important distinction as well. Um, ladies, thank you very much for your time. And Rebecca, I'm sorry again for your loss. And Meg, 
Sorry for losing thank mom. You. Yeah, thank you for bringing this to light. I think yeah. it's important yeah. Um, yeah. for people um, to, you know, know what palliative care is. Always. Okay. Thanks, they, gals. Help them. Thank you, Betty. Thanks, Betty. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you would like to learn more about palliative care, uh, as Rebecca said, there is plenty of information available on the Internet. Uh, but one site to start at is getpalliativecare.org, G-E-T-P-A-L-L-I-A-T-I-V-E-C-A-R-E.org. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them.